Okay, so we are doing Monday's portion. This week as last week is combined, as is almost every year. These portions, Acharimos and Kedoshim, are combined, except when it's a leap year, then they generally are not, though sometimes they are, depending on how the holidays fall out vis-a-vis the Sabbath, the Shabbat. So we are in the middle of talking about the service of the high priest of the Kohen Gadol on the holiest day of the year, the holiest person on the holiest day, which is Yom Kippur. This is very, very detailed instruction because all of the services of the high priest were bringing atonement to the entire people. So we are up to chapter 16, verse 25. The fat of the sin offering, he's going to make smoke on the altar. So Rashi here says the sin offering that we're referring to is the intestines, the inward parts of these two animals that we discussed before, the cow and the goat. Remember, there were two goats. This is the goat that was not sent to Azazel, but was brought as a sin offering. And he's going to bring it up, Rashi explains, on the outer altar, because on the inner altar we know that we don't bring any of these animal offerings. And the one, now we're talking about the other goat, on Yom Kippur there were two goats, if you remember, as was mentioned yesterday, the two goats, the high priest draws lots, very holy service of lots, one is offered as a regular chattas, a sin offering of atonement. And the other one is sent by someone on a very, very, very high cliff, a very long walk, which it was so important that even though this was Yom Kippur, but there were little way stations along the way. If the person felt very weak, he was allowed to eat and drink. And there were people that literally sat the entire Yom Kippur just in case this messenger of the temple needed to have food, needed to be able to eat or drink something, keep going till he brought this goat all the way to this high cliff and then pushed it off. So now we're talking about that person that sent that. Now it also happens to be said that every year the person that would take this goat, they knew died that year. It wasn't like a punishment. It was just somehow part of the energy of the service that that person would end up dying that year. But yet, no priest ever refused or ever didn't want to do this very holy service. So that person that had brought the goat all the way up to that cliff and pushed it off as a way of saying, like, so all of the, the sin should be broken up and, you know, he has to wash his clothes. There's a certain impurity here attached to this. He has to wash his skin. And then after he does his purification, he can come back into the camp. Verse 27. Now, the cow that we just discussed that was offered as a sin offering and the goat that we just mentioned, again, not in the previous Pasuk, we're talking about two verses ago, they mentioned it as a sin offering, the cow and the goat, whose blood was brought on that outer altar to bring atonement to the holy places, bring them outside the camp. They're burnt in fire, their skins, their flesh, their dung. 
And Rashi here clarifies that we're talking about the blood. The blood was brought into the temple, into the innermost areas of the temple, but all the other parts of them was burnt outside the camp. And the one that burns them, again, he has to wash his clothes, he has to wash his flesh, and then he can come back into the camp. So also he has, has acquired a certain impurity. Again, he's not doing anything wrong. It's part of a holy service of a holy day, but some of the services are going to create an impurity, and the one that's doing this holy service therefore acquired the impurity, and he has to wash his clothes, and he has to wash his flesh, and then can he come back into the camp. And it should be for you as a statue forever. The seventh month, Tishrei, the tenth day, this is Yom Kippur, you should afflict your souls, any work you should not do, the native or the ger that's among you, here meaning obviously the convert. The term ger literally means like the 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 one who is not from you but we have two choices here either the word ger means a convert or ger means a resident alien one who's not jewish but has chosen to live among the jews in israel and has therefore taken upon the noachide laws to allow himself to live in israel but here clearly since the non-Jew, the Noachite, does not have all these obligations to afflict themselves on Yom Kippur. So this refers to the convert. So until verse 29, we're discussing all the services of the high priest. Verse 29, we're now talking about the Jewish people. And we're saying there's affliction to your soul. You can't do any work. Of course, you, you can't eat or drink or wear leather or bathe or have marital relations. There's all these different ways we're afflicting ourselves. We're separating ourselves from the physical world to ascend to a very, very holy space. The ninth of Av is also as severe a fast as Yom Kippur with the same afflictions, the same restrictions. Both of these are the only fasts that start the night before. But the ninth of Av is the saddest day of the year. We're too low, so to speak, to do any of these things. Yom Kippur, conversely, is the holiest day of the year. So all these afflictions are not to give us pain. They're to detach us from the physical world so we can ascend for that one day to such a very, very celestial realm. Verse 30, From this day should make atonement. It should be an atonement for you, to cleanse you from all your sin. You should be clean before God. The day of Yom Kippur is so powerful, we're told... Our sages say in the Talmud, Itzumo Shalyom Mechaper. The very energy of the day itself atones to such a degree that in the Talmud there's a discussion, does one have to repent on Yom Kippur because the energy of the day is creating the atonement. But we're told yes. If you do not atone, if you do not repent, if you do not fast, fasting is the most critical thing to do on Yom Kippur. If you do not fast, then all this energy will like wash right past you. But if you open yourself up by fasting, by the prayers, by psalms, by giving charity before, by doing all the other, following all the other restrictions, then the energy of the day washes away the sins that only on that day can be atoned, which generally means there's two types of transgressions. When we don't do what we should have done, like we didn't pray, we didn't give charity, we didn't make a blessing, 
But when we do something we're not allowed to do, like we eat something not kosher, we do something forbidden on the Sabbath. So if you did not do what you needed to do, like pray or give charity, make a blessing, light the candles to bring in the Sabbath, then you can repent, do a sincere repentance, which is regret, confession, and a commitment for the future. God will test you. You will pass the test with flying colors, and you'll be completely atoned. You did your repentance. God will send you atonement. But if you did something that creates a negative energy, which means you did what you're not allowed to do, like you ate not kosher, like you ate without the blessing, like you desecrated the Sabbath, then at that point, you do all the steps. You regret. You confess. You resolve never to do it again. You are tested. You pass the test. You did a complete repentance. But you still don't have enough energy here to create complete atonement. And for that, you have to wait for Yom Kippur. So now we are in the Jewish month of ER. So we're talking about five months away. So if someone did something they weren't allowed to do, even though they go through the whole process now, but they literally have to wait five months at this point in the year until Yom Kippur. And then with the atonement that you're going to do on Yom Kippur, the energy of the day washes away. Verse 31, It is a Sabbath, a complete, the ultimate Sabbath for you. You should afflict your souls, and it is a statue forever. Now we're going back to the priests, because these verses, 29, 30, and 31, we're talking about us. There's 32. This priest of making atonement is the one who is anointed and who is consecrated to be the priest in his father's stead. And he should be put on the special linen garments, the holy garments. So this day of atonement, Rashi explains, truly we need the priest. Of course, nowadays we haven't had that for some 1900 plus years. In the times of the temple, the only concept of the Yom Kippur service was everything done by the high priest. Now, why does verse have to say this? I mean, we just went through verses, 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 all talking about everything the high priest is doing. Because there it was speaking specifically, it was talking about Aaron doing it. So a person should understand that it wasn't only Aaron that did this, but every high priest after him similarly does all of these services in Yom Kippur. Now the verse to, to identify this as a high priest says the one who's anointed. And then it also added another phrase, the one who's consecrated. So why do we need that second phrase? So Rashi explains because there was a time when the high priest stopped being anointed. This was from the time of Yoshiahu when they were no longer anointed. And because the flask that contained the special anointing oil was hidden. So how did one become a high priest? By wearing the eight garments. A regular priest has four garments. The high priest has eight. So this is the, if you weren't anointed, but you're consecrated by wearing the eight garments, truly you also are the high priest and can perform all these services. It also seems to add an unnecessary phrase here to be a priest in his father's stead. And that's to teach us that if the son is worthy, he has first rights on being the high priest after his father. Now, it's a very, of course, a big disclaimer. If he is not worthy, then he has no rights. It's not like, well, my father did it, so it's my job. No. But if this son is very worthy, but there's three other very worthy people, all very, very worthy priests, all very righteous, all very holy, 
all truly fitting to represent the Jewish people here in front of God, the sun would have precedence. And this is a rule in general that we apply in all positions of authority. Uh, the leader, the rabbi of a community, in all such situations, if the son is worthy, he would have precedence over any other contender. Verse 33, And he should make atonement for the most holy place, for the Ol Moed, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, for the altar, and for the priests, and for all the people. He shall make atonement. So this is all of the items. We're listening here, all of the items. Of course, we went through it yesterday primarily, went through all the different services that the high priest is doing to atone for the tabernacle, to atone for the altars, to atone for the priests, to atone for the Jewish people. All of this he is atoning for. Verse 34, And this shall be unto you for an everlasting statute to make atonement for the children of Israel because of all of their sins once a year. And he did as God commanded Moses. So Rashi explains, we're talking here about Aaron, that when that Yom Kippur arrived, he did all of these services. And this has also begun another nuance. This is really praising Aaron because why did he do everything? As God commanded Moses, meaning he didn't do it for his own greatness. He did it fulfilling God's decree. Now we're up to chapter 17, and we're now talking about a totally different issue. And God spoke to Moses, saying, Verse 2, Now we're giving an introductory verse, speaking to Aaron, to his son, to all the children of Israel, and say to them, this is the thing which God has commanded, saying. And what is this new subject here? We are talking about, there was an animal that was dedicated to be a sacrifice for God, but one of two things happened. Either, instead of it being sacrificed in the holy area of the tabernacle, as a sacrifice is, slaughtered in the holy area, it was slaughtered outside the temple. Or, for that matter, it was even slaughtered outside the whole camp. Or, later, we're going to, Rosh is going to bring out, if he slaughtered it properly, it was slaughtered in the tabernacle, but the blood was sprinkled outside the tabernacle. Either of these is a very, very serious offense for which the person receives the, the strongest punishment we have, a spiritual excommunication of their soul. So verse 3. Any man from the Jewish people who's slaughtering an ox, a lamb, a goat in the camp, not in the tabernacle in other words, or he's slaughtering outside the camp. He went outside the entire camp because, of course, there was the tabernacle area, then outside that, the place of the Levites, then around that, the camp of the Jews. And then there's outside that camp. So any man who either he slaughters this animal, that is supposed to be a sacrifice for God on the altar, outside the tabernacle, or even outside the entire camp. Now, Rashi says, when it says outside the camp, no, in the camp, will be outside the courtyard where that animal was supposed to be slaughtered. So it could even have been, so to speak, in tabernacle ground, 
but not where the animal is supposed to be slaughtered because this is a holy animal. This is going as a sacrifice to God. So there's a designated area in the tabernacle for it to be slaughtered. If it's outside that area, it, it's outside. It's in the camp already. And again, or the person could even offer it, slaughtered outside the entire camp. Now, why would someone do something like this? We don't know. <laughs> it, it's not our issues because we don't offer sacrifices now. We don't have a temple to offer sacrifices. We haven't had one for 1,900 years. So to imagine someone is dedicating an animal to God, bringing it up as an offering, and then not doing it properly, it seems a little bizarre. And I assume this was very, very rare, but if this would happen, this would be the consequence. Perhaps it never happened. Verse 4. And to the opening of the Olmoed, of the tabernacle, he didn't bring it to present it as an offering for God before the tabernacle of God. It's considered blood for the man. It's considered blood. It's considered as if he shed blood, meaning it's considered as if he murdered. Well, what he murdered? I mean, he, he sacrificed an animal. Yeah, he did it in the wrong place. No, God says, from my perspective, it's like he spilled blood of a human. It's like he murdered. And this person's soul is cut off. He receives a spiritual excommunication called courage. And Rashi says, what do we mean it's considered like he murdered? Because just as if someone murders, his own life is taken. So, so to here, he did this spiritual murdering act by offering the sacrifice, slaughtering the sacrifice in the wrong place. So it's like his own life now. needs to be. He took away the life of the animal, but wrongly, because he didn't do it right. So the whole thing is a waste. So now, spiritually, he has to give his own life. And then, the verse added another word. He spilled blood. Now, of course, we already got that, because the previous phrase said, it's considered like blood for him. And then it says, and he spilled blood. So Rashi says... Now we're talking about we're bringing in another offense he could have done, perhaps instead of this one. Either way, it's the same consequence. Either if he slaughtered the animal that was designated as a sacrifice outside the designated area in the tabernacle, or even outside the entire camp, or he could have slaughtered it properly. But then he sprinkled the blood that's supposed to be sprinkled in the tabernacle on the altar outside the tabernacle. That would also be considered like he spilled this blood unnecessarily because it's not doing what God wants. So his own blood, so to speak, and the spiritual excommunication is spilled. In order that the Jews should bring their sacrifices, that they're sacrificing in the open field, they should bring them to God. In other words, don't sacrifice them in the open fields. Bring them to God. So the opening of the Olmoed, of the tabernacle, to the priest, and sacrificing them there as peace offerings to God. So Rashi says the phrase, Asherim Zofchim, which they sacrifice, means what they're used to sacrificing. Now, in those days also, to understand this a little better, now this is only for the Jews in the desert. Only in times of the desert, a Jew wasn't allowed to, if he wants to have a barbecue that night, take one of his animals, slaughter it, you know, go through the koshering process, and then cut up some steaks. There's no such thing. If you want to eat steak, you first give a portion to God, which is what the verse is talking about here, which would be the most probable situation where this message could occur, in a what's called a shlomim offering, a peace offering, because it was peace because everyone got a part. A part went to God, a part went to the priest, and a part went to the person himself. 
So once they entered Israel, you didn't have to make every animal a sacrifice. It wasn't like for you to eat a part, God also, and the priest also had to get a part. No, you could just slaughter, and like we do nowadays. Slaughter, go through the proper slaughtering, the proper purification, kosher process, and it's fine. But in the times of the desert, perhaps because they were on such a holy level, and the temple was right there traveling with them, they literally didn't have to go anywhere. It was right there in the midst of their camp. And probably because they were on such a holy level, there was no such thing as just eating steaks, as having your barbecue. It always had to go with a piece for God. So again, if you would say, okay, well, we're having a cookout tonight. We're going to give God his peace. Oh, well, I don't know. I just slaughtered in the wrong place. Whatever. I sprinkled the blood in the wrong place. Whatever. No, no, no. This is holy. This is spilling blood in vain. But what's supposed to happen is it's supposed to go for God. As verse 6 says, The priest shall sprinkle the blood to the altar of God, to the opening of the Omoed, the tabernacle, and make the fat smoke to be a pleasant smell for God. Last verse of our section, they should no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the Seirim, which Rashi said here means like Shindalids, demonic forces, that they stray after them, and this is statute forever for all generations.